a science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they felt And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. everybody, and welcome to the Story Collider Behind the Scenes. Uh, once a month, Liz and I will be hosting a discussion from behind the scenes of Story Collider's production for our Patreon supporters. We will be discussing topics, and we will be inviting guests <laughs> from both inside and outside the Story Collider team to talk about things like craft and science that matters to our work. Sometimes these will be producers or board members of the Story Collider, and sometimes they'll be scientists, performers, and others who inspire us. To get continued access to these discussions, plus bonus stories from the Story Collider Vault, go to patreon.com slash thestorycollider and subscribe for $5 per month. We will also be thanking you on our website. And for a limited time, if you sign up during our Giving Tuesday fundraising drive, which starts today, December 3rd, and continues for the next week until December 10th, you will also get a very large and very special Story Collider mug. Yes. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> I'm a big fan More of the Story caffeine. Collider mug. <laughs> Today, we are so excited to welcome one of our board members to the discussion. Dr. Alima Tu is a cognitive behavioral therapist. He has been an expert on Netflix and Vox's The Mind Explained and A&E's The Employables, among many other media appearances. I highly recommend his popular YouTube channel, The Psych Show. And much of Ali's work has focused on anxiety and related topics. So we're really excited to have him here today to discuss stage fright. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, Ali, everybody here has experienced some kind of stage fright. We're all performers yeah. or teachers or speakers. Um, talk to us. Why are people so afraid of public speaking? Well, it's so natural. I mean, we're, we're social beings. That's one of our big advantages as a species. We're so wired for connection with other people. And so what can be more terrifying than being in the front of our peers or a group of people and being evaluated by them? I mean, it's it sort of gets at besides survival and a threat to your life, this is the biggest terror that we can have is being judged and evaluated by others and a fear that we're going to be judged or evaluated poorly or be rejected by other people. It's it's probably the most primal fear that we could possibly experience outside of, you know, being like attacked by a lion and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. It's like we are hardwired in our brains to think about our reputation and, and threats to our reputation and totally. it seems like public speaking for many people is perceived as that threat yeah and it's also um i, th I think about one of my mentors uh, who taught me a lot about treating anxiety and he said the stuff that we do often um, we get more contact with, we learn more about, and usually it gets easier. But the stuff that's more rare, um, the stuff that's uncommon, the stuff that rarely occurs, that stuff is really hard for us. And so I think about that with public speaking and with performing. For many of us, 
it doesn't happen every day. It's not like mm-hmm. getting in the subway and going to work or getting in a car and driving to school. Um, it, it's a more uh, rare situation that might happen every now and then. So we don't have that frequency of contact that will make it feel more of a normal event. It still is more of a abnormal event. And the things that we don't do often the things that we don't get a lot of contact with, they tend to remain more anxiety-provoking, which in a lot of ways can actually be a good thing. Like, Wait, what? What do you mean it's a good yes, thing? Yes, this is like, so this is every first session I have with someone who struggled with anxiety for a long time. They're like, Dr. Batu, get rid of it. Like, I don't want to experience this anymore. And I'll look at, look at them directly and I'll kind of lean in and sometimes I take off my glasses if I want to be like super intense and I say I'm sorry I can't I can't get rid of your anxiety and even if I could I wouldn't want to you need it and yes that's the reaction people have is like what (laughs) (laughs) um you need it. it it does so much good stuff for you so what Wait, like, like what, like what, like what good stuff <laughs> You're like, oh, public speaking anxiety do for me? <laughs> uh, so it does, it, it focuses you. So it focuses your attention on the task at hand. So leading up to the performance or the talk or the class that you have to give, you are focusing more of your resources on that thing. You're preparing for it. You're thinking about it. You're thinking about things that could go wrong and hopefully planning for that or, or practicing doing that kind of stuff. Um, in the moment, it also focuses you. So... Um, you're not thinking about all the other things that you have to do during the day. You're completely focused on your performance in that situation. So it it completely focuses your mind, your body. You're much more hyper aware of what's going on. Um, I like to quote Doctor Who. Uh, There's an episode (laughs) where the doctor talks about when you're anxious, it's like rocket fuel pumping through your body and you can jump higher and run faster and react more quickly. And all of those things are true in a performance. If it's the right level of difficulty for you, you are going to be so well prepared for uh, whatever's going to happen in that moment because of your anxiety. Now, some people might have uh, them, a situation might be very difficult and they might have a lot of anxiety that could start to get in the way of things and make it harder to prepare. That's a different story. But in most situations, while it might feel uncomfortable, it's exactly what you need to get through that thing that you have to do. This is so interesting because I was thinking about my own like stage fright when I get nerves when I'm going to perform or give a talk and I feel like there's all sorts of different things that are happening and I kind of like to break it down so there's like the thoughts and like my internal monologue that's one thing and then I have physiological responses Mm -hmm. sometimes and those are the ones that bother me because I feel like other people can see that I'm nervous and also (laughs) like like my throat closes up sometimes and it makes it harder to project yeah um, yeah, I was just uh, doing a little research about some of the physical 
uh, responses to stage fright like you're talking about. And I watched a very helpful TED Ed video from Michael <laughs> Joe, but he was talking about how uh, when we have stage fright, you sweat, your blood pressure jumps, your digestion mm -hmm. shuts down to maximize <laughs> delivery of nutrients and oxygen to vital organs. So that's why you get butterflies and why you get dry mouth. Yeah. Because it's your body routing those resources to where it's important. And why you shouldn't ever have a big meal right before. Like, <laughs> like, like The times I've done a story collider story, I tend not to um, eat beforehand. Or a few hours before. Like every big performance I've had in my life, whether it is a live performance like Story Collider or an important talk like defending my dissertation or media gigs, I don't I don't eat in the hours before because yeah, your digestion digestive system shuts down. The other thing that I hate is I have to pee a lot because of all of that. <laughs> this is very yeah. common at Story Collider shows. A lot of people have to pee right before they go on stage. It sucks. I hate it. <laughs> Uh, and, and Liz, the thing that I, uh, the thing about other people seeing, the way I experience that is sweating. I have this deep oh. fear that people are going to see me sweat and they're going to see, they're going to see on my forehead, they're going to see pit stains, they're going to see all this sort of stuff. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. And it, like recently I was doing this uh, collaboration with HBO and I was sweating like a like a pig. I was. I, it, <laughs> well, I bet you were under bright lights. Oh my god! Too. It's the bright lights. It's sitting in one spot. It's like thirty people around you and observing you. And um, I just I talked to the director and I'm like, hey, um, so just want to let you know, I'm like sweating like a lot, and <laughs> um, I, I'm hoping it doesn't come through in the video. And so she started looking at the screen and she's like. Now you look good. Um, okay, move your arms a little bit. And she's like, oh, okay, I see it. Yeah, don't do that. And then it was the terrifying thing of her talking to everyone else that was there. And was like, yeah, we're going to have to shoot around his sweat stains. So just shoot from these oh, angles. No. So it was me like confronting that fear in the moment and telling everyone, hey, I, I'm, I'm like, I've got these massive pit stains because I'm so like nervous so that other people in the final video won't be able to see it. So, yeah, like, there's there's that fear of not wanting to be seen as anxious. But something you both have taught me is the audience is rooting for you. Like, mm. people want you to do well. And the times that you might get stuck or nervous, the audience wants you to do well. Um, in most situations, most of the time. At Story Collider. At Story Collider, yes. <laughs> yes. I would say that's true. I can vouch for that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, a little bit different if you're doing stand-up comedy and other kind of stuff. but um, Yeah, but I think like any of those high-pressure situations, maybe even if you don't have the benefit of the friendly audience, I do think stage time moves in a different mm. way inside your head than the audience perceives it. Mm. And I think sometimes it can feel like you're reaching for a word and it takes forever and people may not even notice. That is such a good point because anxiety also warps your sense of time. So mm. your pupils dilate. You're, you're taking in so much more information than you do normally. 
and memory and perception and time, these things are all related. And to quote Doctor Who again, I'm, I'm really not a huge Whovian. I don't know why I keep quoting Doctor Who, but uh, <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah. sure, but more of a trekkie. But um, time is very wibbly wobbly when it comes to emotions. So uh, it, different emotional states can stretch out time or shrink it down. And one of the things that anxiety can do is it can stretch it out because you're taking in so much more information. So, Liz, you're totally right. Like, time will move differently. You might think it was an eternity to remember the word that you're saying, but the audience, it doesn't even, it happens so quickly, it doesn't even register for the audience. Yeah. Aaron and I laugh about this because we often find that for our shows, we're telling storytellers to slow down. Yeah. And especially if they have a big moment to like, let it breathe. And so I tried to quantify this and I tell people count to four mm. in your head because you'll normally count to three and keep going and we want the extra beat. Mm. And Aaron has a more powerful way of saying that. I, I just say pause until you feel like you're going to die. <laughs> and then that's about the right amount of time. I love the integration of science and art there. Like, <laughs> like count to four, very specific, quantified, <laughs> or <laughs> wait until you feel like Or wait until your emotional suffering becomes unbearable. <laughs> oh, you like a true artist there. Um, okay, well, I mean, like, so we're laughing about yeah. this because we laugh at ourselves and we're, none of us are currently stressed mm. out about, <laughs> you know, performing in this talk, but... What about strategies for managing this? Because like, okay, maybe we agree with you that it helps prime us for these performances, but it hurts. It's painful. Yeah. It's sometimes distracting. Totally, totally. So the thing I would ask anyone who's listening to this is to answer the question, this question, what are you afraid is going to happen? What are you afraid is going to happen in this talk, in this performance, in this lecture, whatever it is? So maybe it's I'm going to pee in my pants or people are going to see I'm sweating or I'm going to forget what I have to say or that I'm going to get up there and freeze. Um, and, and the list can go on and on, right? There's, there's so many things you might be afraid is going to happen. I'm not going to get there in time. I'm going to be late or no one's going to laugh at my jokes, all that sort of stuff. And then... How do we help you get contact with that fear so that you can learn how to cope with it? So some people, if it's a fear of I might forget what I'm going to have to say, then it comes back to classical ideas of we're going to rehearse. We're going to rehearse in different situations, different types of pressure, help you to get really comfortable with the content and the material. If it's a fear... And in recovering from mistakes. That's yeah, such a helpful to thing to Totally, realize. totally. I mean, one of the things that Aaron taught me for my first talk was if you forget what to say, you can always say something like, I suppose I should mention, or this is the time I should say, or something like that. And because audiences not know you forget you forgot to say that and you, you so exactly if you for, if the, if the fears i might forget what to say learning how to deal with that how to cope with that how to weave it in 
But if your fear is something different, like I'm going to get dry mouth and I don't know um, if I'll be able to get the words out. Okay, so what are strategies that you can use to keep yourself hydrated, uh, maybe chew gum, get some saliva going, um, have water up there? What's going to help you to feel more comfortable with that? So there's so many ways in which people can experience stage fright. And it all comes down to how do we help you to make contact with that fear and learn how to cope with it. And there's an infinite number of ways in which we might want to do that. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of one of the stories that you told at Story mm. Collider, which is about your own kind of social anxiety when you were growing up and how you overcame that with the help of a sort of an insightful teacher. <laughs> but it really introduced to me this idea of exposure therapy. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's exactly what exposure therapy is. Is uh, So your brain is this association machine. It connects things mm-hmm. together like um, performance and fear or... Um, in that story, it was any time I felt like the spotlight was on me, I froze. I just got stuck. And for to, not to spoil the story, but what what changed things for me was I learned that that fear I had was so common and other people had it as well. And I only learned that by practicing it and talking to other people who are going through it themselves. And so same thing can be helpful for, for any any of us who's going through this. The challenge is exposure to what and how. So like two people can experience stage fright but be afraid of completely different things. And both Mm -hmm. of them are going to need different ways of learning how to experience that fear and how to learn how to live with it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the first time that I ever told a story, I think it must be like 11 years ago now, uh, it was the grad show for my storytelling class that I took from Margot Lightman. And I was so terrified Mm. at that point of being on stage or doing any kind of public speaking. I had that feeling of like, I could change my name and move to another country (laughs) and get out of this performance. Maybe that would be an easier solution to this problem. (laughs) But I think I realized I was more afraid of the embarrassment of not showing Mm. up and having everyone know that I was afraid yeah. <laughs> and I was afraid of doing it. <laughs> so I went and uh, I was so scared that I had broke up in, into hives all yeah. up my oh, left arm. No. I had to wear long sleeves to cover it up. That never happened to me before. Wow. That was just the highest level of terror for me. Uh, but then I went on stage and I survived. Yeah. I got through it. And when I got off stage, I had this really powerful feeling of invincibility that you get when you face a big fear like that and ever since then I feel like the exposure has just gotten me more and more comfortable with those types of situations yeah that that reminds me of a technique that I use because I I used to get all upset and worried that people wouldn't listen for long enough to like hear all the important things I Mm. had to say because I didn't have like a big showy charismatic stage persona. Um, And one of my best friends was a reporter who worked for NPR and she told me that she would warm up her voice by doing the technique, the Kool-Aid man, when he'd burst through the wall and be like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And so I do that 
before I get on stage to make myself just relax a little bit and sound louder than I think I normally am to just sort of like amp up that stage presence and feel more confident. I think we, we all have things like that that help us get to the place that we need to be. Like I have a playlist I listen to that always helps me to get pumped up for stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of the Tron uh, score <laughs> on that because it just, I don't know why, but it makes me feel like I'm ready to like jump on a light cycle and just like take everyone on. Um, but <laughs> there's so many ways that you can do that. That cool, I love that. I want to try that out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's my kind of power pose yeah, right there, right. I think. <laughs> He's a powerful icon, the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> is 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 the Kool-Aid man still a thing? Is that just like, is that, are we dating ourselves? I have Do no idea. Still... None of us are in the target yeah. demographic for Kool-Aid anymore, yeah, I, don't, I don't think. I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, maybe Sad. someone listening will write in and tell <laughs> yeah. us about yeah. the evolution <laughs> of the Kool-Aid man in the past 20 years. So uh, it, this is also where, this reminds me of how our anxiety is so often off. So one of the things that social situations uh, or anxiety in social situations can do is it can lead us to mind reading, um, believe that we know what other people are thinking, like, oh, they think I'm so dumb oh, or I'm so boring yeah. or stuff like that. My um, worst example of this, Erin, um, you inspired me to share my worst story, um, was when I was defending my dissertation. So. I, um, we had an old school version of defending a dissertation. I was the last student to go through the old format. The old format was no PowerPoints, no notes, no nothing. You present, um, you present orally for 30 minutes and then you have like a 45 minute, uh, Q and a followed by like another round of something. I don't remember, but I remember being, that's a lot. It was a lot. (laughs) It was a lot. And it all had to be up here in my head. I couldn't have anything down. I needed to know all the data and all the specifics. So I go through, and um, one of the quality control checks in my department is there had to be two people who are outside of your department in on the defense to make sure that no one department is passing through PhDs that shouldn't get their grade or shouldn't get their Mm -hmm. degree. So I had someone from physics and someone from nursing. Um, The nursing person super friendly the physics person really picky and uh, i would never have guessed that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not picking out anyone in physics but um really focused on the data um story collider was founded by physicists we can laugh at physicists yeah. ben, ben, with ben will forgive me for this. so um after the defense they kick you out and um, I'm, and that's when they deliberate, like, should we give Ollie his PhD? So I was uh, walking through the hall, and one of my old professors saw me, and she's like, Ollie, you're here for the defense. Good luck. Good luck. Oh, I can't wait to celebrate with you after. And she walks by, and then um, she walks back like a half an hour later, and she says, you're still here? They're still <laughs> deliberating? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, isn't this normal? She's like, No. This is not normal at all. Oh. It's usually like five, ten, maybe fifteen minutes. Uh, well, this no. isn't good. Why is she doing and then she, that? I know, I know. What was she doing? And she walks away. And now my my mind is racing. I'm thinking, 
you know, they have, uh, they're failing me. They're just thinking how to say it. They've decided that I am not worthy of my PhD. And I think it's like 45 minutes until they call me back in. And then they say, hey, congratulations, you passed. Um, blah, blah, blah. Good luck. Uh, have a good future. And then <laughs> I found out later that they spent the whole 45 minutes um, in this big, uh, quote unquote, soft versus hard science debate between the nursing person, the three psychology people and against the physicists. And <laughs> they were like, it was a debate that was completely not relevant. It wasn't about no. you at no. all. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and yeah, I, I share that story because I think for so many of us, we go through this mind reading point of when we're performing that that person's bored when it could be that that person's sleep deprived or or they're just thinking hard right or Or they have resting bitch face or something right Right. there could be so many things we we so rarely know um and we so rarely will get that information from other people but our mind when we're anxious goes to a place where it assumes the worst I feel like our minds play lots of different tricks on us that are not terribly helpful. Like I was thinking about one of my own worst experiences. I remember the first time I ever gave a scientific presentation as a graduate student was at a, an ichthyology and herpetology mm-hmm. meeting and gave my talk and it, I thought it went okay. And then the first question, they raised their hand and said, so you describe the method of analysis you used as independent contrast analysis. And I said, yes. And he said, you didn't do that. Uh, oh. And I froze and I freaked out. And so I just repeated, like basically said, perhaps I've labeled it incorrectly. Here's what we did. And then moved on. And at the end, I just felt so deflated, like the entire purpose of me being on stage was a total disaster. And I've held on to that memory as like an example of failure. I just was updating my CV recently. I won an award for that talk. (laughs) (laughs) And I completely forgot. This is the most Liz story I've ever heard. (laughs) Because in my mind, it felt like such a failure, right? Like I felt so inadequate uh, there's um the saying in social psychology that losses weigh more than gains that mm. we are so um wired to avoid threat and remember setbacks so much more so than the gains and achievements that we've made and um I think that that has helped us as a species to survive for thousands of years. It's less helpful in modern day society where we're not being chased by bears and lions, but by (laughs) um, achievements and comparisons and and Mm. performance in, in this very different kind of way. Yeah. I don't also know if it helps anyone else to compare their own disasters with other people's, but on Twitter lately, there's been a thread of people confessing to the worst thing that happened to them while they were giving a talk. And the number of people who vomited or fainted or like fell over, (laughs) it's, it's pretty funny. And it also makes me feel like we're all going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. (laughs) 
Yeah, I. <laughs> We're all in this together, everybody. <laughs> I was uh, performing at uh, Caveat in New York City for academic stand-up, and it was the first time I was doing stand-up comedy. And I had a uh, five-minute set, and um, I was doing the set, and then I um, I saw people off off the stage, the hosts, and they were like making that motion, like you need to end. I'm like, oh. well, what? Why? Why are they doing that? And I found out afterwards that I went on for 15 minutes, <gasps> oh, and no. the host told me, you know, you had a good five minute set, not a good 15 minute set. Oh no! Um, and it was, um, it, it it was. I felt so bad. Like the last thing I wanted to do was be the person who was like on stage for way longer than they should. But here in that in that setback is also an opportunity to learn and grow and improve. And so that's one of the other things that I, I talk to folks about is how can you take in when, when things go badly? Let's learn from it. What like what happened? Like, why did you vomit on stage? Why did I go over 15 <laughs> minutes? And so I begged the the people to give me another shot. Like, I, I want to try this again. And I did six months later. And I did it. I, I think I did my five minutes in six minutes, which I think is a, a big improvement if anyone knows so, me. Yeah, big improvement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> folks who know me know it's hard to get me to shut up. So, um, <laughs> you know, how can we learn from those setbacks? How can we learn from all of the mistakes that we've made? Because we're all going to make them. It happens. We're totally yeah. human. I don't know anyone who performs perfectly 100% of the time. No. I feel like with public speaking, as in life, it's healthy to view it as like a process of growth, you know, rather than, you know, one crucial moment in your life. Yeah. And also realizing that you're going to have to learn how to do it your own way, mm. making use of like your personality and the tools available to you. Because I remember like I spent my first two years at Story Collider trying to be Aaron Barker when I was on stage and that did not go well. <laughs> Yeah. I think someday we should Freaky Friday. Oh, I would love that <laughs> so much. I would. Halloween, Halloween, we can dress up as each other. <laughs> it would be deeply disturbing for everyone. That would be the best Patreon exclusive benefit. Uh. <laughs> if we if we make $10,000 from our Patreon per month, we will figure out a way with the help of some neuroscientists to Freaky Friday me and Liz. Well. Now, that's probably not a binding problem that I can make. I know, I'm like, I don't know. I'd have to wear, like, tennis shoes. <laughs> this is at great personal cost. Erin, can you wear heels? Can you, can you pull that off? Oh, yeah, she can. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I've worn, I've worn heels when, when the situation calls for it. <laughs> you know, one of the things I, um, I've learned a lot through Story Collider is... Uh, speakers really resonate when they're authentically talking about stuff that they love. And I know it's, it's such a cliche. Like that's everyone says that like, be you just like, you know, be you. It's really, <laughs> really hard to be you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it is. Like we all try to be the person that we admire, whether it's on YouTube or when I started teaching, all I did was try to copy my favorite teachers. 
right? Like th- those are the examples in your head. We, our memories are all based on like generalities, these things called schemas. And the memories that stick out are the ones that um, we've seen on TV or that really resonated through our personal life experience. So we try to be Aaron or we try to be, I don't know. I, I don't know what psychologist I was trying to be on YouTube. I, don't, I, I wasn't trying to be Dr. <laughs> Phil. I don't know who. Dr. Fraser Crane. Yeah, yeah, Fraser <laughs> Crane. Yeah, right. Um, oh, man. But I can't be Fraser Crane, right? So um, it takes a long time to figure out how do I be Alima too. But if you're mm-hmm. able to get into that, and that's something that you both do so well, is help people to identify what's their authentic story and how can they authentically tell it but whoever you are when you're able to do that gosh it resonates so much with an audience like to see really geeky people who love data talk about data so passionately is so compelling or to hear someone share the story someone who loves like marine life to share the story of how they fell in love with marine life like that is like it will move you to tears when someone is really being themselves. So, um, but that's hard. So it's hard to do that. It takes so much practice and so much feedback. I don't think we can improve. Aaron, you're talking about growth, right? Like, um, and Liz, you're talking about, I will try to be Aaron. And then like, it's hard right. to like be Liz. It's, it's impossible to do any of those things without feedback from other people. Mm-hmm. And that gets back mm-hmm. to stage fright is, For me, one of the big parts of it was this fear of like criticism and getting feedback. At the same time, there's no way to improve without getting that feedback. So kind of reframing it as feedback is what helps you to grow, like you were saying, Erin. I think that's a big part of this too. Yeah, figuring out from constructive criticism what we take and build on and grow from Mm -hmm. and what we let go of because for so long what was held as the standard of excellence was a very narrow, a very specific demographic. Like unless you look and present and sound like an upper middle-class white man, then you're somehow different or wrong or not, you know, in line with what that standard is. And so I'm so excited to see that changing and to be able to have everyone find the way to be their authentic selves on stage. Yeah, we would have been, all three of us would have been screwed if that's the standard. Um. (laughs) 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 Well, I think this was a a really great conversation. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. Yeah, totally. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And if if people, I'm not just promoting my channel, but if people want to learn more about (laughs) this topic, I have a video called, um, I think it's called Overcoming Fear like seven steps or something like that. Um, but if you go to the psych show and you look up overcoming fear, it'll it'll come up and it's like 20 minutes in depth, like what I do with all of my patients and it'll kind of walk you through the process. Yeah, and we can link to that in our podcast awesome. notes. Awesome, cool. Yeah. Ollie's uh, psych show is super helpful oh. to me personally. <laughs> so highly recommend. Thank you guys. And And if you also want to supplement that with a few dozen pages of a paper from communication education that's a meta-analysis of papers about public speaking anxiety boy do i have the citation for you (laughs) what's the title liz of that so it's called a racing heart 
Rattling Knees and Ruminative Thoughts, Defining, Explaining, and Treating Public Speaking Anxiety by Graham Bowen. Oh, that is a really good title for a paper. (laughs) It's very evocative for the title of a paper. Usually you don't get that. Usually it's like a meta-analysis on the condition of stage fright as uh, demonstrated in a cross-sectional sample of the United States. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would expect. (laughs) This is, that's, that's, I want to read that. Yeah, we'll share. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening.